0: War. The human race never seems to fail in finding reasons for which to wage war upon itself. When we look back at the history of war to try and understand why they have broken out, we tend to see some causes appear over and over again, as if we, as a species, are determined to repeat past mistakes rather than learn from them. Resources, religion, border disputes, a hunger for power and conquest, or good old-fashioned hatred of one another. These are the reasons we have come to expect, but if we examine history more closely, there are numerous conflicts that seem to have been sparked by less obvious causes. In today's episode, we're going to examine five wars sparked for reasons you wouldn't expect to see written in a history book. From a case of a stolen bucket to a war started over a game of football, here are five unlikely causes of real wars throughout history. Welcome to Wars of the World. In the early 14th century, the two city-states of Bologna and Moderna, situated in the northern region of the Italian peninsula, found themselves increasingly at odds with one another. One night in 1325, a group of Modernese soldiers snuck into their rivals' land and indulged in an act of vandalism by stealing a bucket that brought water up from one of the city's wells. It was a minor infraction against the people of Bologna, the bucket not representing any great symbolic importance and easily replaceable. But the Bolognese people were incensed by this affront, their pride seemingly having been damaged by the act. Diplomatic efforts began to recover the bucket from the Modanese soldiers who had stolen it, but these came to nothing, with the Bolognese demand simply being waved off, which only further incensed them. That should have been the end of it. However, the atmosphere was prime for open warfare between the two city-states, due to a series of disagreements over territorial claims and religious differences. Both cities were also aligned to opposing sides vying for control over Italy. Bologna thus raised an army of some 32,000 men and marched upon their enemy, meeting them in the Battle of Zappolino on November 15, 1325. The odds were firmly stacked against the Modernese army, who could only muster some 7,000 troops, and to make matters worse, they were spread out along the open plains ahead of the Bolognese troops, who occupied the high ground before them. And yet, despite all this, the Modernese army were victorious, thanks to the Bolognese troops being poorly equipped and poorly trained, while the Modernese troops were professional and included mercenaries from Central Europe. Using their superior tactics, the Modernese routed the Bolognese forces who were forced to retreat back to their city, their enemy in hot pursuit. The Modernese troops then managed to break through the city walls and destroy a sluice lock on the Reno River, thus depriving the city of water. Feeling they had sufficiently defeated the Bolognese troops, the Modernese decided to withdraw, but not before they shamed the Bolognese one last time by stealing a second bucket from a well outside the city gates. Some 2,500 Bolognese and 500 Modernese troops were killed during the entire affair. In 1738, Robert Jenkins, captain of the British brig, Rebecca, returned to his homeland with a rather grotesque souvenir of his time saving in the Caribbean, namely his own severed ear, which he kept pickled inside a bottle. A fascinated British audience were keen to hear just how the captain had lost his ear, and so he regaled them with a tale which actually took place some seven years before. In 1731, while sailing off Cuba, his vessel was attacked and boarded by the crew of a Spanish Coast Guard vessel. When Captain Jenkins protested, he was punished with the severing of his ear by a Spanish officer. The story spread like wildfire, and eventually caught the attention of the British Parliament. Prime Minister Robert Walpole summoned him to tell the story to the government and the result was immediate and impassioned. This attack by the Spanish was not just seen as an assault against a British sailor, but a snub against the entire country. Consequently relations between Britain and Spain rapidly deteriorated, particularly in light of other insults put upon the British by the Spanish, and spurred on by this, the following year, the two burgeoning European empires were at war, the British battle cry being that the Spaniards should not be allowed to cut off any of their countrymen's ears again. The War of Jenkins' Ear was soon enveloped by a much larger conflict that would erupt on the continent, The War of the Austrian Succession, despite its name, was very much an international affair with Britain, France, and Spain supporting opposing claimants to the Austrian throne following the death of Charles VI. This was nine years after Jenkins' ear was removed from his head. Consequently, after several engagements between British and Spanish forces in the Caribbean, from 1742 onwards, the battles in support of this particular cause began to wind down as both sides focused on their wider aims in Europe and increasingly in the new world of North and South America. The war formally came to an end on October 18th, 1748, with the British seemingly having come off worse than the Spanish in terms of casualties. Since then, historians have debated as to the truth surrounding Jenkins' story, with some arguing that it was more likely the captain lost it in a bar fight and invented the story in order to save himself embarrassment or to entertain those who may have bought him a drink. The truth may never be known, but the case is an example of how emotion can get the better of people. And while war with Spain would have broken out anyway, given the events in Austria, the truth or the fiction of Jenkins' ear certainly advanced proceedings. In 1821, Mexico gained its independence from the Spanish crown, becoming a republic However, very soon, powerful factions began to form within the country, all of whom were vying for power and influence. Violence therefore erupted on a regular basis between the factions, leading to rioting and looting, and given the nationalist mood in the country, foreigners often found themselves a target by all sides. The situation was further exacerbated by rising debts the country was accumulating with foreign investors, particularly those from France. 1828 was an especially difficult year as forces loyal to rival presidential candidates, Manuel Pedraza and Vicente Saldana fought in the streets after a hotly contested election, which was narrowly won by Pedraza. During this time, a French pastry chef known only as Monsieur Remontel found his small cafe in Mexico City being ransacked, apparently by drunken army soldiers during a military coup against Pedraza, just two weeks after the election. Ramontel demanded 60,000 pesos in compensation from the Mexican government, but this demand was ignored, and so Ramontel petitioned the French government to intervene. Other French nationals who had suffered damage to their property in Mexico quickly followed suit, and as the Mexican debt began to skyrocket in 1838, 10 years after Monsieur Remontel's shop had been damaged, the French government dispatched a fleet to Mexico demanding 600,000 pesos for its citizens. The fleet blockaded the vital Mexican port of Veracruz and bombarded the fort at San Juan de Ulua. After frantic negotiations failed to settle the crisis, Mexico felt it had no choice but to declare war on France on November 27, 1838. Now remembered as the pastry war, It was brief, ending three months later, thanks to a British brokered peace settlement in which Mexico was forced to agree to pay the 600,000 pesos. Unfortunately, the Mexican people found it extremely difficult to keep up repayments, causing ever greater frustration in Paris. On October 31st, 1861, delegates from Britain, France, and Spain met in London to discuss the situation regarding Mexico's debts and fleets from all three nations were soon dispatched in a joint effort to recover the money, again, intending to blockade Veracruz. However, the British soon learned that the French were using the operation as a cover for an invasion of Mexico, and not wanting to get dragged in, they negotiated a settlement with the Mexicans. The French proceeded with their invasion, occupying the country and establishing the second Mexican empire as an ally of the French. On April 10th, 1864, Austrian-born Maximilian von Habsburg was installed as Emperor Maximilian I of Mexico, but the country was rocked by opposition from revolutionary forces who waged a bitter guerrilla campaign against his own forces and his French allies. When the French withdrew in 1867, they abandoned Maximilian, who was left to face a Mexican firing squad on June 19, 1867, after which Mexico became a republic again. Before the sentence was carried out, he gave each of his firing squad a gold coin in exchange for them not shooting him in the head so that his mother could see his face intact in his coffin before he was buried. Situated in modern day Ghana, the kingdom of Ashanti found itself frequently at odds with Britain's imperialist ambitions during the latter half of the 19th century. Having battled with British forces on a number of occasions, from 1896, they found themselves under occupation, although from the British position, they had made the Ashanti kingdom a British protectorate, having sent their own king into exile in Sierra Leone. Under the terms of the peace settlement, the Ashanti were made to surrender their wealth, which they did, bar one specific item the Golden Stool. In Ashanti culture, the stool was said to be a symbol of their people's power and strength, as well as possessing the very soul of the kingdom, having been sent to earth from heaven to the feet of their first king. When the British appointed Frederick M. Hodgson as governor of the Gold Coast, it was said that he became obsessed with locating the stool. Then on March 25th, 1900, he called together a meeting of the local chiefs in which he made it clear his intention when he was offered a simple chair with which to sit on. He reportedly said to the delegation, what must I do to the man, whoever he is, who has failed to give to the queen, who is the paramount power in the country, the stool to which she is entitled? Where is the golden stool? Why am I not sitting on the golden stool at this moment? I am the representative of the paramount power in this country. Why have you relegated me to this chair? Why did you not take the opportunity of my coming to Kumasi to bring the golden stool and give it to me to sit upon? For the already embittered Ashanti, this was the final insult. Hodgson soon found himself under siege inside the British fort at Kumasi. The fort was heavily defended with machine guns and even field artillery, making it impossible for the Ashanti to take it. However, they were able to cut it off from vital supplies for the better part of two months. Between March and September of 1900, both sides fought a series of skirmishes that would lead to nearly 3,000 dead, of which 2,000 were the Ashanti people. In the peace settlements, the African kingdom was absorbed into the British empire as a colony, but perhaps realizing they couldn't push the people too far, the new colony was allowed to retain much of its socio-political structure rather than adopt British ways. They were also allowed to keep one very important item, the Golden Stool. Football, or soccer as it is referred to in North America, is the most popular sports on earth. With that in mind, it's little wonder that passions run extraordinarily high around the sports, but to the level of war, surely not. However, Despite efforts made by clubs and teams, football is inescapably linked to politics and world events. With perhaps the most recent example being the Union of European Football Association's decision to relocate their Champions League final from St. Petersburg in Russia to Paris in the wake of the Russian invasion of Ukraine on February 24th, 2022. However, football has also directly impacted world events taking place outside of the game particularly in Central and South America, where in some countries, the sport takes on an importance second only to religion. In 1969, a series of matches were played between El Salvador and neighboring Honduras in order for one side to qualify for the 1970 FIFA World Cup. The matches came at a particularly difficult time for both countries, and numerous issues had led to a deterioration of relations, most significantly regarding the number of Salvadorians who had migrated to Honduras looking for work. The first match was scheduled for June 8th, 1969, and was to be held in the Honduran capital city. A mob descended on the hotel where the El Salvador team was staying and proceeded to make such noise as to keep them awake for most of the night. The game ended with a single goal being scored by Honduras in extra time, much to the fury of the El Salvadorians, with a woman reportedly committing suicide as a result, thus being elevated to martyrdom by the El Salvadorian press. Thus, by the time the Honduras team arrived in El Salvador to play the next match, the Salvadorians were positively baying for the team's blood, rioting outside their hotel, forcing them to flee to their embassy for safety. El Salvador won the game 3-0, but this meant a third game was needed to decide a winner being played on neutral ground in Mexico City. However, by then, the damage was done. Tempers on both sides had been flared by the emotion of events that were transpiring both on and off the pitch. And so when the teams met in Mexico on June 27th, 1969, the game was fierce, but ultimately saw El Salvador win 3-2. In the wake of this outcome, both sides felt their grievances were going unheard by the other, and they began to break off ties. In Honduras, over 10,000 Salvadorian immigrants were forced to flee back across the border, either by government forces or local hooligans. El Salvador accused the government of Honduras of being complicit in the murder and rape of its citizens. And so in retaliation, began plotting military operations across the border. On July 14th, 1969, Three Salvadorian aircraft attacked the Honduran Air Force Base at Toncontin International Airport, and this was followed by a three-pronged invasion along the border. Despite early advances, the Salvadorian Army eventually found itself grinding to a halt in the face of stiff Honduran resistance and poor weather disrupting their supply chain. The Honduran Air Force also launched punishing raids against Salvadorian oil fields in the hope of encouraging the El Salvador government to halt the war. Neither side were particularly well equipped for war with most of their inventory being of World War II vintage. And so by July 20th, they had both largely exhausted their stocks of ammunition, fuel, and spares. The organization of American states brokered a ceasefire between the two sides after 100 hours of fighting in which nearly 3000 people were killed. Both sides suffered economically from the fighting with El Salvador losing vital oil revenue from Honduran airstrikes, while Honduras lost 100,000 Salvadorian migrants who fled across the border to escape the fighting, leaving a vacuum in its labor markets. While the fighting had ended, it would take over 10 years of negotiations to establish a lasting peace, a treaty being signed between the two sides in Peru on October 30th, 1980. It would then take more than a decade after that to settle most of the disputes that led to the start of the conflict. Football didn't create the war, but it did ignite it. Had those crucial games not been played at that time, then the tensions between the two countries would likely have simmered, being settled by negotiation, as was the case ultimately. Instead, the problems the two countries faced were transferred onto their respective teams, providing them with an outlet to vent, and for that reason, it is remembered as the football war. The futility of the conflict around the football was only highlighted when the following year, El Salvador went to the World Cup and were knocked out in the first round, losing their first three matches. And there you have five unlikely cases of real wars. Please leave a comment down below with your own thoughts and reactions, and remember to like this video and subscribe to support the channel. Thank you for watching